Welcome, everybody. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a series. This week, we are doing The Haunting of Bly Manor. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. No spoilers. I'm I'm only a few episodes into this. Taylor is actually ahead of me. Um, <laughs> so we don't know how exactly how this ends because um, it's not strictly one thing or the other. It's really fascinating. I'm I'm really excited to delve into it. So let us be your your annoying waiter who is going to source all of the ingredients and let you know exactly where everything <laughs> is from before it's time for that amazing meal. So we're, we're right in on the hype. This is brand new material. Number one on Netflix, The Haunting of Bly Manor. This is from the mind of uh, Mike Flanagan, uh, who we've briefly covered here before uh, for Dr. Sleep and mm. Stephen King. So... But he has another. He has another very similar series to this. Taylor, you you know more. You yeah, know it's the it. it's the haunting of Hill House, which came out a couple years ago, and it is also based on a book, which we will get into. But see, the last last Mike Flanagan I saw was Doctor Sleep. I wanted to watch Hill House before I got into Bly Manor, but that just was not logistically possible <laughs> in the time frame. Um, so I, I, I wish I was yeah. there. Yeah. And people say, oh, it's different from Hill House. So you're not missing much if you're like, oh, the whole point is that it's a completely different story. Com- it, interesting that they're using similar actors, but it's it's in the haunting series, but it's a whole new standalone story. It is based on a very, very old novella released in 1898 called The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. And his stories and novels have been adapted over 150 times. So he's no joke. Good God. What is the <laughs> what is the brief, brief summary of this? An au pair who heads the, uh, the countryside Bly Manor caring for two orphan children, Miles and Flora, sees apparitions of former employees. Could they be disturbing the children? Could it just be her imagination? And what you've said there is exactly what this novella is. It is basically that they use the same names. It's a governess since it's old times instead of an au pair, which is just a live-in nanny in right, Europe. Okay, okay. Uh, and the children are Miles and Flora, and she sees Miss Jessel, who was the previous governess. She also sees this other employee, Peter Quint, which is exactly how everybody's name, Mrs. Gross, is, or Miss Gross, is still there <laughs> as well. She thinks they're having an effect on the children. Maybe they're seeing them and she's not. It's, it's Or is it her imagination? It's basically everything that we get here. It's also got the framing intro, the first person narrative by someone who we don't know who they are in the opening episode is used in the book as well. So it's got everything that the book has. Much more than uh, than Hill House, huh? Yeah. So Hill House was based on a Shirley Jackson novel called The Haunting of Hill House, which came out in 1959 dubbed as one of the best literary ghost stories of the 20th century. It was in the running for the National Book Award, but that one just it's been basically for I believe. Yeah, it? yeah, a couple yeah, times. Several times. There's just one called The Haunting that came out shortly yes, after the book yes. was written, yeah. So, but the only similar thing is the characters' names and that there's an investigator of the paranormal who is going into this house, but there's nothing about the Crane family and the back and forth in time, any of that stuff that happens mm-hmm. in Hill House. Uh the difference of the two being that Hill House, more people would say, is like scary, jump scare, horror. And Bly Manor, as we've seen so far, is more of a slow, and they even describe it. The people it's an unraveling. It. It's like a blooming mm-hmm. onion. I want to peel it back. And, and, and every piece is another, is another step. Uh, which I'm I'm really enjoying, like a good, it, it, and it feels a bit like a book, uh, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. Uh, 
Yeah, um, it's, it's it's like oh, new character. Now let's settle in with them for a minute and see mm-hmm. why they are in this weird predicament. Yeah, <laughs> so that is in the fashion of gothic romance, which mm-hmm. it's even been described as. It's not a ghost story; it's a love story. So where this to me was not spoiling anything, but trying to understand this is what in the world is gothic romance? Yeah, and what are they yeah. copying? And is this actually relatable to what history has shown us? Is this genre? Right. So first, we got to talk about the history of ghosts, and then we'll get into gothic fiction. Because I was just, before we even get into Here what we go. they're talking about, ghosts, <laughs> where, where are ghosts? Ghosts are featured in every culture's stories. There hasn't been a culture that hasn't had a ghost or somebody right. back from the dead in the spirit like, It's wide, it's just, it's it's rooted into our, in, into our, in our lizard brain, in our yeah. subconscious. They're, they're, they're the idea of a... Of a spirit a alternate of a, side, so mm-hmm. you know, a living on, absolutely. Yeah, we talked about it in our old Aladdin episode from 1001 Nights, where there were ghouls, corpses, the, there were even ghost stories, but they were called jinn, which is genie, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't mm-hmm. published until much later, but of course, those are very, very old stories. The earliest one that's been officially transcribed was a play by a Roman writer, and it features it's the first one to feature a haunted dwelling. And the title of it is oh. literally translated The Haunted House. So that was an oh. old Roman play. Going across the world, Tales of Genji is a Japanese work from the 11th century, which also might be the world's first novel. And that features ghost characters. Wow. And then swinging way back over, we're just jumping centuries, but 1600s in Europe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> tragedies, uh, tragedies that are inspired by the Greek tragedies. So we've already talked about Hamlet as one of them that has ghosts because they were inspired by these old right. plays in Greece. But those ghosts on stage were depicted in armor because they were trying to show that they were old and antiquated. And so since 1600s is not medieval times, Middle Ages, yeah. they're like, that's what ghosts are. They're way from the past. So this is where we actually get, for those that are wondering, the sheeted ghosts, the white cloth ghost. Yes. That comes oh, about <laughs> jumping 200 years further into the 1800s because they needed these pulley systems and these complicated ways because this armor is heavy and cumbersome to move the ghosts on stage. And it just became so ubiquitous and, and comical almost. It was subjected to laughter as opposed to fear. So in order to make the ghosts different and more movable on stage... They put sheets over top of them, ah, instead of using fantastic. the armor. So that's that's <laughs> where all of that imagery it comes, comes from. Because <laughs> ghosts, would, like, why would they be sheets? They're just people that are dead, but appearing as themselves. I was watching something just this week, and it put into context uh, like a timeline for me uh, as far as um, mortality, ghosts, and horror. Uh, Mm -hmm. that I hadn't quite heard summed up. And they were saying that we used to be closer to our dead than we are now. And we used to bury our dead under our house and in our backyard. And then then we put them out in a place. And that over time, there was this shift from living with to this external. And then when it actually moved across to external, they're over there, we put them in a cemetery. The horror side of of what we know now started to emerge out of that, the separation, Mm. the idea of other. Once that got introduced to the psyche, the more of those horrific connotations and the, and the fear of death 
became more prevalent. This is yeah. speaking incredibly generally, just, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like wildly yeah. generally. But uh, I was just, uh, I, I can't, I got for the life of me, cannot remember. I was just watching this this week. Um, but it put into context just our relationship with mortality, death, and relating to uh, art, our output, mm-hmm. art. Or at least horror, in the Western world. Themes, how, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, then, again, broad. Like that's <laughs> one of the broadest statements I could probably make. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, that's uh, yeah, that I just thought it was up, really yeah. interesting to think of it that broadly and see the wide shift of it. It's like, yeah. okay, and then and the, what, what spurs those types of movements? What's well, good you bring that other. up? Because <laughs> here we have, now we're moving into the 1800s. As I said, now we've got sheeted ghosts on stage instead of suits of armor. This is where we're creeping our way into the golden age of the ghost story. And now we're talking about gothic fiction. This is where mm. this come about. So what in the world is gothic fiction? You're talking about transitional stages in society and culture. We're moving out of the age of enlightenment into the industrial revolution that's slowly taking over. But there's a group of people that are counter to that uh-huh. idea of rationality and all of that. So it's it's people are being more interested in mysteries, the supernatural, strange, makes, weird yeah, feelings. It's the, the two big ones are terror and wonder, both of those emotions. There's a strong emphasis on them. There's a word rooted in the gothic fiction genre, and it's a feeling called the sublime. And mm. that just means a feeling that takes us beyond ourselves, kind of as an extension of the romantic literary movement where it was all about feelings and emotions. But gothic fiction is rooted in the sublime, what takes us beyond, like I said, the wonder, like the terror, but usually yeah. involving mystery, supernatural, perhaps. Absolutely. Fear is wrapped up in that 100%. Yeah, yeah but uh, compl- that's yeah. fascinating. Completely opposite to the Industrial Revolution that's barreling its way into (laughs) Europe in the 1800s. So gothic horror is the subgenre of that that seeks the sublime taking beyond oneself, but with horror Mm -hmm. instead of romance or these other Mm -hmm. subgenres. And just as another piece to it, the setting is a huge part of it, gothic architecture. So it's always castles or these ancient Uh architectural pieces. The other categories that you've probably heard of with this subtitle, Southern Gothic, which was in America in the South. For sure. For sure. Um, uh, well, Ameri- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, American Gothic as its own thing. And then there's even one that's come about more recently called Revolutionary Gothic. And oh, par- really? Uh, okay. Yeah, now tell but, me about that. So the film Parasite is in that terminology might be considered mm. that because if you think of it, it's like a mm. house, a castle, a structure, ghosts mm-hmm. within some mysterious thing, but all centered around the wonder or terror of revolution as opposed yes. to just horror or romance. So that's the that's the newest one. It's still going on today. Oh, wow. Um, how this came to be in this industrial revolution. So the biggest development is this book, Mysteries of Udolpho in 1794. So right before 1800, this gal, Anne Radcliffe, it's this brooding Italian castle romance. Exactly everything Classic. you'd think of. <laughs> yeah. Gothic. Fiction. Love it. <laughs> um, the horror take on this Frankenstein comes out in 1818. Throwing it out there. She's got it. It might also be the Frankenstein might also be the first sci-fi, at least in the Western world. So she's trying to take it in different angles, but it's already been developed as a genre, at least as far as what people know from the romantic era and romance. So Jane Austen actually has a book called Northanger Abbey that also comes out in 1818, the same year as Frankenstein. But Mm. this is a parody in which 
her main character, Catherine, has read too many gothic novels and imagines all this murder and villainy and supernatural, but everything <laughs> is much less strange than she imagines. Kind of, we know how Jane Austen is counterculture and is like, with everything. yeah, yeah. Or it's like, oh, well, women are being scary. told life is like this, but it's not to us. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just funny that already, even in the midst of it, people are saying this could be potentially silly or, or, or not the way that that's life funny. should be that's seen. funny that the commentary is that like it's parallel <laughs> uh and because like how long does it take to write a book like good yeah. Lord, <laughs> to take how long did it take her to write frankenstein and so okay for those competing lines of thought mm-hmm. um to really collide at that moment in that year is pretty incredible i love yeah. i love it I well love it was it. actually jane austen's first novel that she wrote but it was the last one that was published posthumously because if you remember, she had such a hard time getting her stuff published. Right. Um, uh-huh. As we go into the mid-1800s, now it's the Victorian era. We've mentioned this before. Penny Dreadfuls, Varney the Vampire, the old little piece meal mm-hmm. things that as mm-hmm. everybody's bored in the Industrial Revolution because they got to work 20 hours a day. They need something to get their mind off of this. They're reading these horrifying, <laughs> you know, Sweeney Todd type Please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe comes in, changes the game. He's focusing on people's descent again. into madness. He's super into this genre. The Bronte <laughs> sisters, who did Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre, who we go. are as a bit of the Jane Austen stuff, but their thing involves mystery and potential supernatural stuff. Yeah. It might or might not be that. Um, I love the, honestly, I just, Wuthering. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll it'll come back later. You'll see. So, thank God. Um, thank God. We also have talked about Louisa May Alcott of Little Women fame. This was oh, her- Oh, no way. Her, yes. Her I was wondering thing. if she would come up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a long fatal love chase was the weird like woman on the run because this guy is stalking her that was only found like 20 years ago. Of course. When, when we talked about Little Women. So she's in the gothic fiction game. Ah, yes. Now we've also got, as we get towards the mid-1800s, Charles Dickens. He read the early Penny Dreadful stuff as a teenager, and his Mm. twist on it is to make it more urban and modern. So Oliver Twist, A Christmas Carol is the most classic. I mean, God, ghosts for days in there. <laughs> for sure this is great yeah. i love it i we love finally, it i love seeing how that ball changes hands who's, yeah. who's, oh, who's dribbling down the court who's about to be who's who's, who's about to be? <laughs> making a it. different play yeah so now we're finally at the very end of the 1800s which is the peak 1886 to 1898 this is where we're rocking dr jekyll and mr hyde picture of, <laughs> we got picture of dorian Gray. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we got dracula he comes in there. Boom! The crowd is going crazy yeah. right now. This got- <laughs> game is on fire. If you could yeah. see this, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, Phantom of the Opera swoops in in the fourth quarter. <laughs> oh! <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, Henry James, 1898. Here he comes with Turn of the Screw. So Don't now we do. <laughs> no. <laughs> so now we get to him and where Bly Manor comes from. Turn of the Screw. <laughs> this is the most analyzed probably ghost story in the English language because teased really? in the beginning. It's known for being so ambiguous. Is it ghosts? Is it her imagination? Uh, is she madness? Like he's pulling I from everything now. that Charles uh-huh. Dickens is doing, that Edgar Allan Poe is doing. Also, perhaps even he's referencing Jane Eyre, which mm-hmm. came out mm-hmm. in 1847 because in that she becomes a governess. There's odd things happening at this house that she can't speak to. I knew it. It's not a ghost. <laughs> it's this crazy lady who is trying to escape. <laughs> A whole different episode, yeah, probably. Of but no, it's, it's totally um, yeah, so you can see he's pulling from everything. But <laughs> this is this turn of the screw is also his most adapted work. It's been adapted close to thirty times. 
thus wow. far. There was, oh a, yeah, there was an opera in 1954. The Innocence was a play in 1950 and then became a very famous movie in 1961. The most recent ones, The Others with Nicole Kidman that came out in yes, 2001, yes. very loosely based, but still has a similar premise. And then there was a movie called The Turning that came out in January of 2020. We were going right, to cover it, yeah, it. <laughs> but clearly, obviously nobody saw it because you haven't heard of it. Yeah. And here we are talking yeah. about it. So we knew this was coming and would be more conducive to the conversation, but been done time and time again. Why is it important? In terms of where it sits in his canon, it's the end of his second period of writing. He has three periods of writing before he gets into his more esoteric stuff. And like I said, you could see it as a ghost story. You could read the whole thing through as a ghost story, or you could read the whole thing through as a woman who's going mad. And you can read it both ways. And everything that he puts in there pulls the rug out from under you as to whether or not this is what's happening. To be able, I mean, that that's reaching a bit beyond the page. It's really dealing with real perception. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are you bringing to the story? Well, that's why that's what I love. What? How do you feel about it? Which, depending on what you're in, what story you're looking for, or what has what your experience is in life, you Mm -hmm. might have a different viewpoint of exactly. Is this a horror? I, I. showing something with that duality i mean i love i love that i mean that really is trying to reach out beyond the page and and, i mean that's really using the horror as Mm -hmm. as a real device about your perception or can you trust what you're seeing can you trust what you're feeling (laughs) exactly as the framing device so he wants to do that to the to the reader so at the beginning where we see oh here's somebody telling this ghost story i usually hate stuff like that where it's like why are you telling me that you're telling a story just put the story but the whole point is because the people that are about to listen to this story that this guy is telling about a ghost they're like oh well we'll just see what happens in it and it'll tell us what's going on and he's like no 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 do the work read between the lines essentially is what why he's putting the person telling you that they're telling you a ghost story is because he doesn't want you to just think it's a ghost story. So he's already priming <laughs> the audience to be like, this isn't maybe what you think it's going to be, which is crazy for the time. Playing with expectations and trying to get an active audience is mm-hmm. like half the battle. And if you can find an, a, an impressive little mad, it really is. If you can find just a little bit magic trick to get them mm-hmm. in on it. Oh, you won. Yeah, uh, that's that's the trick of it. It's and it's beautiful. So what's wild about Henry James as well is it's not all short ghost stories. He's written 23 novels, 15, 15 nonfiction works, as well as a bunch <laughs> of novellas, a bunch of plays, and then dozens of short stories. So this oh is just, gosh. like I said, it's in the, it's at, towards the end of his second period of writing. Uh, just some history on him and where he's coming from with all this. Like, how does yeah. this become the best talked ghost story in the English language? His family very prolific. His brother, William James, was the first educator to offer a psychology course in the U.S. He's dubbed the father of American wow. psychology. Whoa. His brother well, is. He, okay. That has everything to do with the perception here. If he's playing with perception and audience expectation and dealing with whatever you're bringing to mm-hmm. the story has, has everything to do with what you think the story is. Do you think that's just a coincidence that his family is <laughs> this family is known for yeah. the father of psychology in the United States? Well, and also, so he's also <laughs> tagged along in this philosophical movement called pragmatism, which is the most American philosophy <laughs> that you could ever have. But it's it's looking at the practical value of truth. So it's basically, and this is completely watered down, but it's like instead of truth being what reality is, truth is who has the best argument. Because that's really all that matters. It doesn't matter, like, what is the meaning of life? Well, if we can't see it here and if it doesn't affect us now, then your argument's invalid. It has to be what's right. here, which also <laughs> kind of ties into, like, what are you seeing and is that what is real yeah. or, you know, is yeah. it just what we're being told? 
I mean, so, it, it, that from the first moments of the intro of the show, I go, this is going to have everything to do with reflections and everything mm-hmm. that, that means, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the <laughs> thematics. I was dead on on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he's an American author who became a British subject in the last year of his life, but he traveled back and forth all the time in his childhood, in his life. Oh, wow. And so his his novels are transatlantic fiction in that world, Americans mm-hmm. and continental Europeans going between the two, kind of like Francis Hodgson Burnett, who did Secret yeah. Garden. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. In yeah. The, they're in the same field. Globetrotting, yeah. Yeah, her name gets popped up, of course, in here. Everybody. <laughs> Harry Potter predecessor. Yeah, all the, all the hits are coming out. So that's kind of where his stuff is coming from. The, the ghost stuff comes out more in his second period. But he's known for, even in his novels, the ambiguous, contradictory motives in the character's psyche. If you take take another art angle compared to impressionist painting, it was what people say his writing mm-hmm. feels like. Mm-hmm. And then his late style, his third style, is almost very stream of consciousness. It's all it's very difficult to read, even to the readers of that time, let alone modern audiences. I think it's interesting that he has these movements and he yeah. has this broken out into movements. And and it sounds weird to to hear and listen to. But simultaneously, as an artist, I'm like, that makes total sense. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, oh, man, I was like a different person 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And what my output then would have been based and headed in totally different directions of what my output in the last 10 years. (laughs) Right. You know, this next 10 years and then the 10 years after that. Like, I'm like, I could see how, you know, and then over, you know, gradually, depending on whatever is going on around you in the world at the time, you could be influenced by the, the, the just whatever the issues are mm-hmm. and that would be part of your app and that's incredible to see i love i love taking just a little zoom out to kind of see big motions mm-hmm. there why and yeah how. well and it, it carries over into his personal life so one of his great friends is hg wells who did war of the worlds and these other things yeah. and they were friends they had a falling out though Chill. because yeah no. <laughs> well because of his you know, change no, in style no. and, and philosophy oh, of writing. That so. was one of the changing seasons. That <laughs> yeah. was one of them. They, ah, oh, they broke, they broke. So I love this. H.G. Oh. Wells, a quote about Henry James's writing style. He was like, it's like a hippopotamus laboriously attempting to pick up a pea that had got into a corner of his cage. And H.G. Uh, oh. Wells went so far as to write a satire book called Boone, but it says it's written by Reginald Bliss. So he had denied that he wrote it for a while, but it's kind of a critique of <laughs> That's Henry James's That's writing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. He critiques himself a little bit too, but it's just bringing up the questions of what, of literary criticism at the time. Uh-huh. So it, it's not just all sunshine and rainbows. Cool. You're That's changing dirty. the way that you're writing. <laughs> you're losing friends. Oh, um, uh, but but a, even to, to further my point, doesn't it make sense of how, like how like just things that happen in your life? I mean, just mm-hmm. anybody's life. I mean, gosh, that's interesting. And it's almost more now now talking about. It, I'm interested that art, more artists don't actually look at their work in the the, the waves. I guess and yeah. uh, or at least have some sort of reco- recollection or parallel parallel to their life and whatever mm-hmm. is go. What what I mean? You want to talk about something? You know, we right. we all do. Or like Everybody. we talked about with Sherlock Holmes, how after World War One and a lot of his family died, he's like. Well, I'm done right. with it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or he's going to exactly. be more empathetic, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, this is yeah. exactly what I mean. I, 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 you know, and, and it's not, I don't want to take it too far in any direction. Mm-hmm. Again, I speak really generally, <laughs> but I, I think these are important things. I think this helps to kind of see, connect the dots. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to understand. So, um, yeah, in spite of, 
you know, H.G. Wells sort of giving him the cold shoulder. He was regarded, he was nominated three times for the Nobel Prize in literature for his body wow. of work, but he never won. Wow. I mean, hey, three times. Mm-hmm. One's a, you know, hey, <laughs> one's a fluke. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I mean, one's is like incredible, but to three times, I mean, yeah. so three times and you don't it, win, yeah. you'd be like, well, I basically won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and then in terms of uh, influence, maybe we already mentioned her, but the Secret Garden in 1911, it's orphan type oh, kids shit. in a manner, weird things are happening. You know, she might yeah. have picked up on this. We said we, we had a whole episode about her and her life and how it affected her, but it's like we didn't know about him. So right, there right. might have been something in the water Absolutely. that she wanted to do a, a creepy manner, kids who don't have parents kind of thing. Right, and, uh, and she she went the it turned into a flower. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you go, Francis. Good. Yeah, do your thing. <laughs> what I found wild, which just tying back to film and the Netflix show Bly Manor, ghosts yep. are also now going on to film. So the arrival of the train, which is the big film that everybody knows, before the Moy Bridge, just horse galloping for half a second. The, the arriving right. of the train was eighteen ninety five, and the first what we might call the first horror film, silent film, three minutes long, which was very ambitious for the time, is called Haunted Castle. And it's by Melier, who did Journey to mm-hmm. the Moon or whatever that one is, Voyage to the Moon. Yeah. This came out in 1896. So two years before two. Turn of the Screw comes out. And it's got bats on strings, people appearing in a puff of smoke, all of the horror <laughs> film, horror as we see moving. I check it out. You know, it's incredible. Yeah, I'll, I'll post a link. But the original... Yeah. The original practical effects. I'll post a link to it. Get out of here, Tom Savini. Stand aside, Rick Baker. Melier has it all. Well, you're lucky that <laughs> you're lucky that you're going to be able to see it because this was one of the lost films that was just we knew it was a silent film, but there was no actual oh, film of it. But in 1980, well, in 1988, no it was found in New Zealand somewhere. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, for those that don't know, then this is uh, this is not like best known fact. In other words, like there are so many totally lost films. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is possible that Prince could exist somewhere in some basement or some you know catacomb under Italy. <laughs> you know, I, no telling. But as far as like any any up to date historical archive goes, there are plenty. There, I mean, I, I have thousands of lost of films that we know existed. We know who worked on them. We know who made them. We know what they did in their time. But there is no actual copy in existence. Yeah. Uh, so that's not that's not something that like people who aren't studying film really like know all the time. But it is rather interesting. Yeah. And um, the fact that there's, a, there's, there's a, one yeah, ghost <laughs> list of ghost films. <laughs> I'll post a link. We can actually see this one. If you wanted to get the first, that's incredible to have one re- resurrected. So to take for our audience, like there are there are thousands of films that will probably never ever see the light of day again. This is an instance of one that actually came back from the dead. We got a zombie film and got cool <laughs> special effects and and horror stuff. This is incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. So here we go back to the haunting of Bly Manor Netflix. Still not spoiling anything. I didn't realize, and I don't think a lot of people. You had said it was based on the Turn of the Screw, which, as we said, all the character yeah. names are the same. The whole premise is the same. Everything that's going on is the same. Ambiguity, ghosts, not. Who knows? <laughs> you know that stuff is all in there. But in reality, Mike Flanagan, who has come up with this, is basing it on. He said several of the Henry James canon and his works and whatnot. And I looked into this Very on my own. Yeah, I looked into this on my own, and I didn't see that anybody else, which I'm sure somebody else has, but just consider this a scoop. If you look at the titles of the episodes of the Netflix show, they are Henry James short stories or other works that he has done. 
And so then I went and looked at what those short stories are, and they are a reflection or loosely related to, even if they have nothing to do with ghosts, because he didn't just write ghost short stories. Like, Mm -hmm. so episode one is called The Great Good Place. And I looked up that short story that he had written, and it's about this busy writer who has this party and all these guests, and he doesn't want to be there. And there's this fantasy world that he's able to get away to, but then his servant wakes him up. And so he doesn't know whether that was real or whether it was all a dream, which is very much the tenor of the first episode of the show and of the series as a whole. Like, what is happening? Is it real? Is it not? The second episode is titled The Pupil, which is another one of his short stories, has nothing to do with ghosts. It's about a student who gets in a lot of trouble, befriends his tutor, the only actual adult he can trust, which is in the second episode, it centers on the young boy and his issues in boarding school. And it just, it's crazy to me. I won't go through all the episodes, but literally every single episode, if you look back at it, it is, is another Henry James short Tom. story that yeah, has yeah, something wow. to do is... with the plot. So just the care and the layering of like they know gothic horror, like they're 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 completely enraptured <laughs> they're, they're in Henry James's right on that work. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Which I don't think anybody perhaps really is thinking about that being like, oh yeah, it's based on the term. I haven't it's seen like, that no, 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 listed it's... anywhere. I haven't seen yeah. that listed anywhere that those titles are actual short stories from, I mean, I've seen like on the Wikipedia and stuff like that, that they, it, it like hints that they are, you, you, <laughs> yeah. they're like, we really love him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that they're, that they're using more of his material, but they're, it's really, this is it. It's turning the screw. And not just that the um, title, so that's really cool. and not just that the titles are, oh, this is cheeky. Cause it's another one of his, it's like, no, the actual content of the episode, No, the, like, yeah, you the could themes spoil are, it for are, your, are right there. Yeah. You could spoil it for yourself potentially. If you, if you knew his if short you, story, if you were if you knew all of those stories and you read the titles, you could spoil the season for yourself. Right, exactly. <laughs> You're just thinking that nobody has read all of the work from the 1890s. Yeah. But I just thought that Sorry, was Sorry, fans out there. Don't, <laughs> don't get ahead of yourself. You Henry James buffs. Yeah. But that, that, was, that, was, that was amazing and marvelous. And what a wonderful oh, it's conclusion to the that's non-spoiler beautiful. episode. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I wish you saw more of that as just a workflow precedent in Hollywood of like Mm -hmm. the Jurassic Park franchise actually (laughs) looked into Michael Crichton. All of his work. What he wanted to talk about, you know, like I wish that was more the state of things. Mm -hmm. So I, I love it when somebody like Mike Flanagan just really goes head first, not just into material, but into the author and all of their material. Mm-hmm. Um, we know the relationship that he has with Stephen King, but he looks like he's not just able to do that quality and, and, and level of work for somebody like that, that he has an actual relationship. He can actually put the what yeah. he's learned from the, all of that into making something new with an author who's not around anymore. I think it is evident just right there that he is going back and taking all everything he learned through doing all of the Stephen King stuff. Okay, how can I do that with a guy that's not around anymore? A different horror that people haven't. Yeah, goth horror. Yeah, it's amazing. This is wonderful. Guys, uh, check it out with us. We're watching it right now. The Haunting of Bly Manor. Thank you so much, Taylor. Uh, We are going to keep up the Halloween stuff. We're doing the spooky uh, <laughs> the spooky Horror subjects stuff. this month. If you haven't noticed, we're going to keep it going. Lovecraft Country, uh, it wraps up, so we will be actually doing a full look at that, and uh, we're going to keep up the, uh, the scary vibes. <laughs> uh, as always, let us know what you think. Let us know what you're watching. Reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. Send us a message. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.